Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. He suffered the greatest thing because, you know, when you think about life and death and you think about our, our lives, you know, suffering for your life is, is, is a big deal. It's a very big deal. But think about what Jesus suffered. Even after he was, while he was hanging on that cross, it wasn't just that he died from his wounds that he received from the, the piercings and the lashings and all of those things, but he took upon himself something the world could not see. He took upon himself the sin of the world. And that blow, that singular blow, that bruise that God the Father put upon his Son was the thing that accomplished your salvation, that paid the price. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us today on Truth in Christ Radio. In our prior study of Peter's first epistle, he explains how we as Christians may suffer for righteousness' sake. In today's lesson, Pastor Rob examines how Jesus suffered for our sins, and because of his suffering, we have been redeemed. Jesus' innocent suffering, death, and resurrection are the foundation of the salvation and vindication of believers in him. And now, let's turn our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 18, and let's join Pastor Rob with today's study. And let's just open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, and let's read the first, from verse 13. We've already talked about uh, chapter, or verse 13, um, but let's get in context what we're talking about here. It says in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, it says, And who is he who will harm you if you will become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, that you may be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through water. And we're just going to stop there today and uh, just want to... Let's go back to verse 18. We know that Peter was writing this letter to Jewish Christians who had, uh, at, in the first century church, after the, uh, the day of Pentecost, they were really dispersed uh, because of persecution, and they were on the run, and they were suffering. 
And, 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 and Peter here is trying to encourage them. You guys are not alone. This is just par for the course of being a Christian. You may not suffer to the point of physical pain. Some people have. Some people have not. Some have just been ridiculed and, and called names. But very seldomly does a child of God lose their life for their faith. The vast majority of Christians uh, that have ever lived have not lost their life because of their faith. Many of them have just become old and died, <laughs> like the, the, the normal passage of human life. But they've lived lives that were full. But Peter's saying, don't be discouraged because your example, Jesus Christ, has gone before you, and he has also suffered. And he suffered the greatest thing. Because, you know, when you think about life and death and you think about our, our lives, you know, suffering for your life is, is, is a big deal. It's a very big deal. But think about what Jesus suffered. Even after he was, while he was hanging on that cross, it wasn't just that he died from his wounds that he received from the, the piercings and the lashings and all of those things, but he took upon himself something the world could not see. He took upon himself the sin of the world. And that blow, that singular blow, that bruise that God the Father put upon his son was the thing that accomplished your salvation, that paid the price for your salvation. Nobody could see that because it was something that was invisible. It was something that was spiritual, but something that had been prophesied for hundreds and even thousands of years prior. And this is the faith that we hold to. And so in verse 18, he says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. Now, Jesus, he suffered once. Do you understand that? This doctrine is important to understand because the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament, all they were, they were substitutionary and they weren't permanent. They were temporary to put away the, you know, to uh, atone for our sins. But ultimately, those it even says in, in Hebrews that it's the blood of bulls and goats. It's not possible that they could put away sins. That's why Jesus had to die once and for all. And he only died once. He doesn't continue to die. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11, it says, But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, and not with the blood of goats and calves. But notice, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place, notice, once for all. Once and for all, he paid the price. We must understand, he died once. There's no more need for us to be sacrificing animals. Not that any of us do, except for lunch. <laughs> except for when we have a, uh, a cookout. You know, of course, it's already been done for us, and it comes in the form of patties. The 80-20s, the 90-10s. That was kind of funny, wasn't it, Rhonda? That was... <laughs> anyway, in Hebrews chapter 10, for the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect for then they would not have ceased to be offered for the worshipers once purified would have no more consciousness of sins but in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. So the, the sacrifices were, weren't permanent, they were temporary in the Old Testament. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. And then in verse 5, Therefore, when he came into the world, when Jesus came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. 
Then I said, Behold, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in, which are offered according to the law. And then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. The first covenant was just a shadow. The second covenant, the covenant of the blood of Christ, that is what is sufficient. And by that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Notice, once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. But this man, speaking of Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever he sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And then down in verse 18 it says, Now where there is no remission of sin of these things, there is no longer an offering for sin. So Jesus paid the price once and for all. And when Jesus was on the cross, didn't he say in John 19? What did he say? The very last words on the cross, it is finished. The payment for sin has been finished. It is finished. And you know, there's a Roman Catholic, uh, the Roman Catholics have what they call a sacrifice of the Mass. And, And I want you to understand something right now. I'm not bashing Catholics. Catholics are are wonderful people, and God loves them, and many of them are born again. And there are many who are not. But I tell you, God is not pleased with their doctrine. He's not pleased with the doctrine of the Catholic Church. And I bring this up because of this very thing. In a Catholic um, source, it says the Eucharist, which is communion, the blood of Christ, is a true sacrifice, not just a commemorative meal, as Bible Christians insist. Well, I beg to differ with that. I beg to differ with that. In fact, during the mass, the the the, the blood, the very body, or the the, the wafer in the, in the cup, somehow through this mystical magic show of transubstantiation, somehow this body or this bread and this cup become literally the blood and body of Christ. And they even say among themselves that they sacrifice Christ afresh every single time they do that. But the Bible says that he was sacrificed once. So we have to make our mind up, who are we going to believe? Are we going to believe the traditions of man? And again, the Catholic people can be wonderful, but their doctrine that that is taught to them is not good. It is not good. Jesus sacrificed was sacrificed once, and even Peter, who they claim to be their progenitor of their faith, he was married. He wasn't celibate, as priests have to take celibacy. He was married. And also... Peter said in this epistle that Jesus was offered once. There's no longer any need to sacrifice Jesus again and again and again. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul records for the Corinthians this idea of what Jesus did. And speaking of Christ at that Last Supper, in verse 24, he says, And when Jesus had given thanks, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Notice, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper. He said, this is the covenant of my blood. This, do as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. He didn't take a a knife and cut off a piece of his flesh and said, take this. There's not enough of me to go around. Take small pieces, guys. 
There's none of that. That was forbidden, <laughs> that kind of thing. So Jesus died once and for all, once and for all. So the sacrifice of the Mass, it is not a true sacrifice. The true sacrifice was Jesus Christ on the cross nearly 2,000 years ago. That's what the true sacrifice is. And he said it is finished. It is once and for all. And he died, the just for the unjust. Jesus, the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot, the just for the unjust, He, God the Father, made him who knew no sin, Christ, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And in 1 John it says that in him there is no sin. Speaking of Christ, there is no sin in the Savior, Jesus Christ. For Christ, we're back here in verse 18. For Christ also suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, and being put to death in the flesh, made alive by the Spirit. And we get into verse 19 and verse 20, which is all we're going to get through today. This undoubtedly is one of the most difficult passages in Scripture, and I don't want you to be discouraged by it, and there's a lot of uh, opinions about this, about what we're going to read. And I want to share you, I'm just going to pile on my opinion uh, on top of the opinions that have been expressed concerning this. And I'll be honest with you, it's something that, you know, through prayer and through studying this thing, I spent quite a bit of time on this, and, and I love stuff like this because I, I need to know, I want to know, did Jesus really go to Hades? Did he really descend, as the Bible says, into the lower parts of the earth? Did he go and did he preach? And what did, he, what did he say? And what was the form of his preaching? And who are these spirits? And what is this prison? If you look at it in our English, it's very hard to understand, I think. But once you start looking at the original language behind it, and again, none of us are Greek scholars, and we, we can't all be. But I will be honest that as I began to peel this onion, as I began to look at other uh, options and everything like that, it became a lot clearer. You all know from the last couple of weeks we talked about the word love in our English Bibles. It's translated love, but in the Greek there can be many different words for love, at least three or four, maybe even five different words for our English, English word love. And so there is for hell as well. When we see, especially in the King James Version, we see the word hell, depending on where it's located and depending on the context, that, that word literally means something different. It's a shade, it's a different thing. And that's important when you start looking at this because it does help you to understand exactly what happened. And I'm going to share with you, I believe this with all my heart. And as of this moment, I'm going to share with you what, I, um, what has makes sense to me. And for some reason, after looking into this even further, it makes the other passages a little clearer now. So I'm just, we're just, let's just get into it. It says, by whom also, and, and I love how... You know, Peter throws this in here. He's talking about suffering for, for righteousness and, you know, suffering for the will of God and to, to, do, to suffer for doing good rather than for evil. And then he throws in the context of all this, this little, these two verses that just seem to be, wow. <laughs> it's like a, throwing a, a bomb in the middle of a, you know, a birthday party um, because it, it just, it's, it's pretty significant. 
So by whom also he went, speaking of Jesus, and he preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which, that is, eight souls were saved through water. Now there some believe what some believe concerning these two verses is one thing that the Spirit of Christ was preaching through Noah, and we're going to look at that in just a little bit, preaching through Noah as he shared with those unbelievers before the flood judgment back in Genesis chapter 7. Some believe that 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 is the case, and that's a pretty good reason. There's a second thing that many hold to, and that is that Jesus, after he died, he went to Hades, or in our English Bible, he went to hell, and preached the gospel to those who had died in Noah's day, who were unbelievers and died because of the flood judgment, and thus, by preaching to them, giving them a second chance to receive Christ. There are some that believe that, and I don't believe either one of those things. And I'll share with you why. But we do have to talk what it is not, what this passage is not. There are two, uh, the second view that I share with you, there are variations of it that intimate this idea that after death we, there's a second chance. And that is not biblical. And because of that, there have been a couple of doctrines that have spun off of that idea. And one of them is universal salvation or Christian universalism. And basically what this is, is a doctrine that all sinful and alienated human souls, because of God's great love, will ultimately be reconciled to God. Does that sound right in your heart? (laughs) That regardless... Just because God's a God of love, it doesn't matter if you've been a serial killer. It doesn't matter if you've been a murderer. It doesn't matter if you've been an adulterer all your life and lived in bars and preyed on women and, and embezzled money from your company. It doesn't matter. Ultimately, you're going to go to heaven anyway. I don't hold to that. It's not biblical. In Hebrews chapter 9, it says, And it's appointed for man once to die, and then the judgment. And this is hard. This is hard for us to understand. And it's a hard thing to share, I'll be honest with you. But there's no person other than Jesus who taught more about hell than Jesus Christ did. He taught more about it, and it's something that we really need to understand. Now, you and I, if you're a Christian, you don't have to worry about these things. But if you don't know Jesus, you need to know him because there is a heaven, there is a hell. There is a payment of sins. If you don't have somebody paying your sins then you will pay for it yourself in hell. It's a real place, a place of torment, a fire that never ends. It never ends. But Jesus would have you be with him. And it's a simple act of faith by saying, Lord, I believe in what you did. Save me, God. I'm a sinner. (laughs) It's that simple. And yet man and his rebellion, I I, I I can do this. I'm better than that guy. And because of all the good deeds that I've done in my life, God has to demand. I I can demand at the throne, (laughs) you have to accept me, God. And God says, I don't have to accept you at all. In fact, depart from me, I never knew you. If you don't have the blood of Christ on you, you are none of his. And there's also another false doctrine that is purported in the church, and that is purgatory. This idea that somehow when you die, you go to this place of intermediate place. You go to this midway point, some mystical cloud in the sky. And that somehow, by being there, you're purified so as to achieve holiness necessary to enter into heaven 
which is experienced by those who die in grace and, and, and friendship, but still imperfectly purified. When Jesus died on the cross, he said it, it's finished. And we are clothed in his righteousness when we receive him by faith. So there is no purification of, I mean, we're going through sanctification, aren't we, daily? But Christ has purified you by his blood on the cross. There's no other deed that needs to be done. Otherwise, he would have said, it's partially finished on the cross. But he didn't say that. He said, it is finished. The price has been paid in full. The debt has been paid in full. It's been paid in full. And purgatory, unfortunately, is one of those things where in, in, in the Roman Catholic Church, if you pray hard enough, if you give enough mass cards to friends and they pray, maybe you can expiate your loved one from this place. And if, you, if your faith is good enough, and if you give enough money and you pray hard enough, you can get that person out of, out of this place and they can go to heaven. There's no foundation of that in the Bible at all. No foundation whatsoever. It's a false doctrine. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that's what purgatory is, is works. If I do enough, if I pray enough, if I give enough, I can get my loved one out of this place. Nonsense. The Bible speaks very clearly about that. Turn with me to Luke chapter 16, because Jesus said on the cross, It's finished. There is no second chance. I wish there were. But if there were, he wouldn't have need to die. He could have just bypassed the whole thing and just let everybody live the life that they want. And, and honestly, is life, living a life of sin, is it really a joy? I mean, does anybody really enjoy waking up and having the, the guilt and, and the, the emotional guilt and the frustration and that you've hurt somebody and that you wake up to somebody you've never known before and you got a hangover and now you lost your job because you're hooked on heroin and you're hooked on painkillers and you've, you've been dealing with stuff on the track and now you've had to hock things so that you can pay your bills. The next thing you know, you're losing your job, you're losing your wife and your health is on the rocks. And the next thing you know, you end up in, in, in a hospital with an IV coming out of your arm, keeping you alive because of your your barbarous life that you've lived. But notice what it says in Luke chapter 16. Jesus himself gives us what has happened. What happens when you die? He tells us. He says, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was that the beggar died and was carried with the angels or by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, what we would call hell, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. So there is a consciousness in hell. There is a, a, a desperate place where there are torments in hell. I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides this, besides all of this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. And then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, 
that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time when Pastor Rob continues our study in 1 Peter. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.